Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit television show Shark Tank, and you're listening to the Underdog Podcast. I've been too high up to fall, question marks, what's up with y'all? All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, 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 underdogs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Underdog Podcast. Today, I have one of my favorite humans ever on this call. Lori, how are you? I'm awesome. I love you too. Oh, <laughs> Can we I just have a love fest? Serious <laughs> love fest. The deal diva is in the building. Lori, who I absolutely adore. She is somebody who is a role model to me, you guys. And just I just can't wait to hear like the depths of the story. Every time I'm talking to Lori, she's talking about deals. She's getting stuff done. And she's just like a mover and a shaker in the real estate industry big time. And it's just such a blessing to know her. And today I get to learn the deep, dark secrets of of Lori and how Lori came to be, which is exciting, right? <laughs> and I, I have a tendency to take it all the way back, Lori, because I'm so excited to hear like how everything really manifested for you and where you're at now. So I always bring it back to your early childhood. Mm-hmm. What did you want to be when you grew up? The president. <laughs> this makes so much sense now. I get it. <laughs> yeah, no, I wanted, I wanted to rule the world. So I thought I needed to be the president to rule the world. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. You know, it's so fitting for you, though. It really, really is. Because I'm like, I feel like that's exactly like what you are in the real estate space. Like, it's Lori. You run it by Lori. Lori, Lori is the one. She is that woman. Oh, my gosh. And at what age did you want to become president? I think all the way through high school. And then when I was in high school at that time, the Soviet Union was breaking down into its own little sovereign countries. And I had this idea, like, maybe I should learn Russian and go over and help all of them start their own businesses so that they could have their independence by being entrepreneurs. Now, of course, I'm in high school. You know, I I didn't have my own business, but I thought that that's what I should do is travel over there and teach them how to start their own businesses. (laughs) Oh my goodness. But like, so, what, a, what a, what a beautiful thought though, is it like for you to be in high school and be thinking of that as kind of like yeah. the, the access to liberation. That's honestly the truth, right? So, and, so you're not yep. dependent on the government. You're building your own ecosystem. Yes. And that's exactly what entrepreneurship did. That's fascinating. Yeah. And I think a lot of it came from, you know, my parents got divorced when I was 12 and I was the oldest. And so I grew up pretty fast because I became caretaker with my, my siblings. And, and I saw my mom, like she refused to go on food stamps and she just like dug in and she started her own businesses, like multiple businesses. And we were her helpers. (laughs) And that's really kind of where I got my introduction to creative financing and real estate because she was not financeable in the terms of how they did it back then. So she negotiated seller financing and moved us into a broken house. And we were her labor, you know, ripping out carpet and hanging drywall and fixing it up, you know, and then it got... You know, we lived there for a while. It was beautiful. And she's like, well, let's do it again. She sold it and we did it again. (laughs) So that's where the flips originated from. And meanwhile, she's doing that. She's starting um, restaurants and pizza parlors. You know, this was back in seven in the seventies. Um, she started wow. taking big pizza, and so she had the concept before it was a concept. And she had about five different restaurants back then. And so, yeah, it was like we had all these different things. So I saw entrepreneurship from the inside out. 
And I understood, you know, the hard work that was involved in it, but also the freedom that she had to be there for us as, you know, we were growing up. So that's incredible. So that's where it all originated. Well, the crazy part is like, she's doing this in the seventies where it was like unheard of for a woman to make these kinds of yes moves. Like yes. how the hell did she do it? Yeah. She just had balls. <laughs> <laughs> I love she that. Pants, you know, and she just stepped up. She was like, I'm just not going to go down this, this path. And she was so creative. You know, I remember well, first of all, one of her famous sayings to me is you're always so book smart, but you have no common sense. So <laughs> I made a goal to get common sense. Unfortunately, sometimes the, the way I got common sense was the hard you know, school hard knocks. But anyway, she, she would take me on these different things. And we went to this one new town that she was going to open a pizza parlor in. And she stopped at the gas station and she asked, hey, who's got the best pizza in town? And they said Rocco's. And okay, which street is that? And she wrote it down. And she went to the grocery store and we bought a couple of things. And she asked the cashier, who's got the best pizza in town? And they're like, oh, Rocco's. Okay, what street? And she writes it down. And she's going around. And then she calls up the real estate agent. She's like, hey, are there any places on XYZ Street? And I'm thinking to myself, why is she opening a pizza place where there's already a pizza place? And so we go there and we're standing on there, you know, looking at one of the places that was literally right next door. And afterwards we get in the car and I'm going, okay, I don't understand this. Why are you opening a pizza place right there? She goes, because people are already trained to come here. And I'm like, dang, that's the common sense I was missing. <laughs> wow. So she's just like, she's just like, let's just Intuitive. go across the street or yeah. wow. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the kind of lessons that I learned, you know, and I think because I was raised in it and I could see her yeah. doing things, it allows me to be creative in thinking outside the box, you know, and, and trying to go, okay, what's the common sense answer here? You know, what would my mom do here? And so that's why I can put deals together that not everybody can put together. And that's where the deal diva came from is like, people will throw deals away and I'll go back in and I go, oh, I've got a deal here. I'll make it. <laughs> That's incredible. So your mom was the original deal diva, basically. She was. Oh my gosh, she was. Oh my goodness. So she had like the real estate stuff. She had the pizza parlor stuff like that. Oh yeah. And then we did Christmas trees in the winter. <laughs> what? Oh my so, God. So like we, in August, we would go out to these tree farms. So I lived in Wisconsin. That's where we grew up. We'd go out to these tree farms in August and we'd mark the trees that we wanted. And then the purveyors would cut them and deliver them the day after Thanksgiving to the parking lot, like at a grocery store. And then we had a lot over at Sears uh, Mall. It was a mall. It was at the Sears store. And we had this little camper trailer that she would park in the parking lot. And so we were out hawking Christmas trees, doing homework, drinking hot chocolate, hawking Christmas trees. So every day after school, oh we'd gosh. walk from school over to sell the Christmas trees. And then she would take the money. And our Christmas was always the day after Christmas. She or actually a couple of days after Christmas, because she would take that money and go buy our Christmas presents the day after Christmas. And we would get more, right? Because oh <laughs> everything gosh. was on sale. So she was just like a serial entrepreneur. That's incredible. Oh my, and how cool is it? And how, what a blessing it is to grow up in that, yes. right? Because you gain these skills that like, you just can't explain, no. right? Like that whole common sense thing. And it becomes almost like mental reflex, right? When you're looking at something, you go into like problem solving mode and like, you just know how to do things and it's hard to explain it to other people. You're like, I just know what to 
do like that's I don't know 100 it it's like it, it's it's a, a visual response you have it intuitively and people are like well how do you know and you're like I just know <laughs> I just it's know. so hard to explain it's so hard to explain but I love that I love that you grew up in that and it makes so much sense and it correlates so much with with what you're doing now I love that so after after high school like what was what was the journey for you Laura because you've done some tremendous I mean your oh, career is like tremendous yeah. and it's incredible it's incredible so, like most kids I didn't want to be anything like my mom <laughs> so I decided to revolt I went to college I was the first one out of the family to go to college and I thought I would get a business degree and so I wanted to go into international business and I, I went down that path. And then my counselor said, you know, you can graduate a year earlier if you go for an accounting degree. And I thought to myself, well, I've been doing my mom's books in her businesses all these years. And I used to do taxes for my stepdad. So I go, well, accounting's easy. And sh she goes, yeah, okay. She goes, take the intermediates and see how it goes. And I flew through those and I was like, this is really a degree. This is like what I've been doing all this time. So I graduated with an accounting degree and I thought, okay, what can I do with this? So I started working for a software firm. They installed accounting systems to all these different businesses. And so I got to be international. I was going out installing that. And then I started my own firm when my son was born and we were growing fast. We had like seed capital angel investors that wanted to help us grow even faster as this firm. And then it kind of all fell apart. And <laughs> we had a couple employees that wanted to take over control and they brought me down. They humbled me very quickly with many, many different lawsuits. And so I had a viable business that I ended up having to bankrupt with two babies. And both my husband and I were working for the company. So I just, you know, I had to pull my inner strength, kind of like my mom. And I had to say, okay, what is it I really want to do? What is my why? And that's when mm -hmm. I went back to fix and flip and properties and real estate because that was what I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the creative expression that comes from it. I enjoyed the wheeling and dealing in negotiations. The numbers were easy. It was just second nature for me. And so I've been in real estate since. I love that. I love that. And sometimes it's these pivots, right? That land us exactly where we need to be, right? Yeah. And sometimes it looks like all hell is breaking loose in our world. But really, it's a blessing because without certain things falling apart, you would never go a certain route, right? You know, and that's the thing I, I think that a lot of people in this generation don't get. You know, it's like your growth doesn't happen in support. Your growth yeah. happens in challenge. And if you take a look at everything that's ever happened in your life and you take your absolute worst moment of your life at that same exact moment was the absolute best thing that could have ever happened to you. You just have to open your awareness to see it. And so every time you hit one of those crunch modes, you know, like a lot of us in the real estate world had 2008 as one of those years that, you know, we lost everything. And I'm not afraid to say I lost everything. I had my kids come to me and say, mom, why is the RV going away? Why is the car going away? You know, are we gonna have to go away? Are we gonna have to move? You know, those, those questions. And I was never one to hide things from my kids. And I would explain, you know, what's happening in the economy, the decisions I made and where we were at and why it was happening. And afterwards, when I look at that, that was basically everything that I knew at this level was taken away 
so that I was free to go to the next level. And every level, my business got bigger, my sphere of influence got bigger, not that status is it, but kind of my status got bigger because this layer was removed, then this layer was removed. And so don't look at challenges bad, look at it as like, it's your time for expansion. So that's my big philosophical lesson. <laughs> no, I love that, Lori, but this is so, so important because sometimes everything has to fall apart for it to really get put back together, right? Because if there's like, there's this quote that I absolutely love that it's like, if you don't listen to the universe, it's going to move for you. Right. Yes. So like if yes. you're listening, if there's signs coming, right, because every single time that I've, there's been a meltdown in my life or had this situation where all yes. hell broke loose, these challenges that you speak of, right, which are very, very much present in everybody's yes. life. Right. But when you're dealing with this, I look back and I'm like, did I listen to the signs? No. No. So so the signs, if you don't listen, what happens is then the universe is like, OK, you're not listening. You're not listening. OK, we're going to crash and burn. OK, because yes. you're not listening. And then, then you're going to have to, you're going to be forced to move. And then that's, what's going to happen. Right. And then you get yeah. forced into a different direction, which doesn't mean that that was a failure, but it means that whatever you were doing at that point in time was simply a stepping stone to the next level. And like you said, I feel like this generation, it's almost like you want to skip to like the greatness. It's like, whoa, whoa. You like, haven't earned it. <laughs> right. Exactly. You haven't earned it. And you also need to remember diamonds get created yes. under pressure. There is no diamond without pressure. It's yes. this is exactly the same thing. And with every successful entrepreneur that I've ever met, they're like, well, let me tell you how many times I have absolutely screwed up. I have done this, this, and this, but it has made me get to X and Y and Z. Without that, there is, there is no such thing, right? No. And, and there's lessons learned in each one. You know, when I, yes. um, shortly before the 2008 crash, I was buying a bunch of land in Texas and this gentleman had something like 5,000 acres. I asked him like, you know, how did you get so much land? And he goes, well, from the cows, little lady. And I'm like, oh, ha ha, you know? And so then he tells me the story. And what I found out later is that this is actually a story that a lot of ranchers and farmers tell, but it was so profound for me because he's like, first I started with one. I started with one cow. I made money on that one. I learned those lessons. And then I added a zero and I had 10 and I learned to make money on that. And then I added a zero and I did a hundred. And he says, I never skipped a zero because the lessons you learn at each zero allow you to grow to the next one. And if you go from 10 to a thousand, you forgot the lessons or you didn't learn the lessons at the hundred, you will lose all the way back to 10. Mm. You know, whereas if wow. you learn the lessons at 100 and you lose, you're only going back to 100, you can build that zero again. And so I've always applied that philosophy is like, am I trying to go from, you know, zero to 100 million? No, first, I'm going to go from zero to 100,000, and then a million, and then 10 million, and then 100 million, you know, add the zeros. And it really mm -hmm. makes a difference in how you think what you do for your processes, your procedures and your growth. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. You're absolutely incredible. I love this because this is, it's just so important. It's so important, right? This is like, we all want hundred million dollar companies. We all want, especially the entrepreneurs out there. They're like, yeah, I can do it and make it happen. But like you said, the, the lessons that you learned here are what help you stay up here. Cause yeah. if you go from this to this, it's like, and then whoa, you lose, whoa, whoa. You you're coming all the way thing. back, you know, but if you, if you learn the lessons in between, even if you lose, you're only coming back to that, that lower the lowest level that you learn, basically. So why not make it, you know, only one step instead of 10 steps? 
Absolutely. And it's not to say that you can't go from one to, you know, a hundred million. You can, there's people that do it, but just the, the philosophy of learning the lessons along the way in the growth were amazing. So. Absolutely. And, and for you, you had mentioned like, you know, when you went back to your real estate career and then like 2008 happened, you know, which a lot of real estate investors, I mean, they got caught in that storm and, you know, you just, you had to deal with your losses and keep moving forward. Like in those times, these were kind of two times that you mentioned that you had to like pivot and really start from scratch. Like if somebody was listening right now is in this situation, Lori, like what would be your recommendation based off of what you did? Like, how do you start over? How do you move? Like, how do you pivot if you will because it seems like mentally like why am I here you know you, you start to get all in your head and all that so any advice from your experience would be appreciated well so the first thing is failure and success are actually the same they're both about progress are you learning and so if you have failure the first step is to not like blame yourself you know yes could you have done things better we all could do things better Even when we're successful, we can do things better. But the question comes like, what can you do from now forward? And what lessons do you need to implement? Like lessons you should have learned, you know? So in that period, one of the myths that I lived by is that real estate always went up. Well, guess what? It doesn't always go up. (laughs) Yup. Yeah. <laughs> no, and you know, so I, I had to adjust. Okay, so let's assume it doesn't go up. Let's assume that the real estate stays the same price for the next 10 years because that's what we saw between 2008 and 2018. You know, how can I still make money in this this you know area? The other thing that was super important for me was relationships. And I even go as far as saying like relationships are recession proof. So whether it's a personal recession or an economic re- recession, If you're investing in people and you're creating relationships instead of transactions, you have got gold. So, you know, in order to rebuild, I didn't have the finances, but I had relationships and I knew where I could find the deals. And so I became matchmaker between the money and the deals. And I started putting deals together. And within less than a year, I was actually more, I had more assets and more profit than what I lost in one year. So it's like, if you've done it once, you can rebuild it, you know, so you got to trust in yourself. Pity parties don't do any good. I mean, it's okay. Cry, have a pity party, put a a time limit on it. Okay. I'm going to do this for one week and then I I need to move on and you just push forward, you know? Absolutely, Laura. Absolutely. And I love that you rebuilt that from day one. And it stems from those early childhood skills, which is incredible. Like that's where Deal Diva really came from was was from your mom, which is amazing. And like, you know, in the fix and flip space, because I know you're super humble and all the things, but like, you have flipped thousands of homes. Yes. Quite literally. Yeah, over about 2,500 homes. That's incredible. How on earth did you do that? And, And from that, from that, you know, like anybody who's listening, there's a lot of people that are interested in real estate, like to you, like what's the criteria for a good deal? And how do you really like analyze that when it comes to flipping? Because I mean, after doing 2,500, I feel like you've, you've got your handle on it a little bit. Right? Yeah, so. you know, so so the volume I did was a condition of the economy. Like I was able to buy 10, 15, 20 homes at a time for 100,000, 150,000. So just to give some perspective there. And then in those homes, we'd put anywhere from 1,000 to 
thousand, maybe ten thousand dollars. So it wasn't like huge, big reno inside out gut kind of thing. But we were flipping to the hedge funds, you know, we we're selling 30, 40 at a time to the hedge funds rented. And so that just allowed us to create a machine. And mm-hmm. the question I would always ask myself, because a lot of people like, so you were traveling around looking at all these, managing these. No, I had four kids at home that I was homeschooling. So no. <laughs> So the question I asked myself is if I was, you know, the CEO of a bank and I needed to get this done, how would I do it? You know, who would I use? You know, who would I employ? You know, how would I set up protections and redundancies and, and things like that? And so I just created a plan that worked to, to allow that. As far as deals, you know, I'm probably not like, I don't have a cookie cutter deal. You know, somebody will bring me a deal and they'll say, oh, well, you know, the price, you know, let's buy it 70% of ARV minus, you know, a rehab. You know what? I probably can do it better than that. I probably could buy it at 80%, not minusing rehab and still come out with a very good profit because I focus on structuring my costs going in, the terms and such. So like I had a deal that was a little bit tight. The seller was not in a hurry. They owned it free and clear. So I was able to negotiate six months, no payments. And I go in and I do all the rehab and sell it and then pay them off. So it isn't necessarily a a cookie cutter deal. The ones that I really love are value add like on land or adding on. I'm in a high price market. So California, you know, it costs us anywhere from 200 to $300 a square foot to build ground up. Most of the markets we're in here are selling at $800 to $1,200 a square foot. And if I add 500 square feet or less, 499 square feet, I can go through a fast process with planning and permitting and get it done in nine months or less. So that that is like huge value that I can add. Or doing entitlements, like I would take houses, like cute little houses on this one street, and I would add ADU ramps and I would change the bathroom so it was AD compliance, like they could bring a wheelchair in. And just the change in those changes would almost double the value of the home because now it could be sold as commercial. So changing the use was a big play that I would do. And then recently we did the assisted living entitlement where right now it's like retail. There's an antique uh, store there, a couple of antique stores, and we were able to assemble. So that means we bought three different parcels from three different owners that were contiguous. So that adds value. And then we took it through an entitlement process. So we haven't knocked anything down. Entitlement is just paperwork. It's kind of like Tetris, you know, this piece fits here and this piece fits here and this person wants this and you make it all happen. So everyone's happy. And then you get it entitled and the land was about 18 million by entitling it. We added 10 million. Now it's valued at 28 million just by going through the paperwork process. So those are the kind of deals that I love. I love that, Lori. And to to back up on the entitlement, anyone who's listening, entitlement basically means that you're permitting for a different use than what's already on the lot. So right now you mentioned it was antique shops and things like this, and you're permitting to basically knock all of that down and build like a assisted living facility, which is what increased the value to 28 million. And for those who are listening, I mean, there's a lot of guys who say, oh, flipping land and all that. that, This is what they're talking about. That basically you, you permit it and you zone it for a specific 
use that is much greater than what's there. So I like for me looking at every parcel is like, okay, what's the highest and best use here? And like, Lori, like I'm sure. Question. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see like, like to hear about how you kind of break that down in, in your mind. And like, when you look at a deal, you're like, Ooh, I like this one. So pizza, you know, pizza, right? Yep. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> we have the whole pizza or we have the slice pizza. If I sell every slice of pizza, I'm going to make more money. So the first question is, how can I increase the density? I always ask that question. And California is like leading the way. So we have this um, bill, it's SB9, State Bill 9, that allows us to cut any parcel in half as long as it meets the minimum parcel size for the municipality. So whenever somebody brings me a house, I look, you know, is it like 9,000, 10,000 square feet? If so, then I'm pretty sure that I can split it in half. And that's one of the deals we're working on right now. Um, It was an MLS listing that fell out of contract two times. And so the agent calls me to rescue the deal. And I negotiated, I bought it. We bought it for 1.2 million. We're splitting it in half, and on each half, we'll have two houses, and each house will sell for $1.2 million. So we'll call it my pizza pie theory. <laughs> I love that. You're so right, though, that selling by the slice, you'll always make more, right? Because some always. people are like under this impression, and even myself, too, getting into the getting into the real estate development you know, realm and then you know, being being a foreigner and kind of like, you know, having this mentality of like, you have to pay everything off. Don't bring outside investors and all this Mm -hmm. stuff, you know, like this, like different mentality than what's in the game now. Like it's, it's so fascinating because it's like, would you rather have a hundred percent of zero? Right. A hundred percent of zero is still zero. At the end of the day, right? Every day. (laughs) Right. So it's like, I love this pizza pie theory that you have that it's like, hey, one slice will always sell for more. So even if you get a piece of the deal, whether it's just equity or you're getting, you know, a certain payout or whatever, like there's always really cool ways to structure these types of deals. I mean, this deal, this entitlement, that's insane. 10 million. And you haven't even like you, you have that value just from what you've done so far. And you don't even have to knock down any buildings or build anything at this point. I'm not managing headaches or managing children that act like adults. <laughs> yes, I purposely said it that way. <laughs> that that's definitely to all construction. If I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yes, right, Lori. Exactly. That that's um, it. You know, it's like, gosh, you know, imagine being able to go through that and work with people like architects and engineers. The the hardest obstacle is typically your municipality. You know, we got into it. We were told that we could do the annexation and the entitlement simultaneously. We're, you know, six months in, and then we're told we have to do it one after the other, which added time to it, which whenever you add time, that's always going to cost more. So those are the kind of changes that you have to prepare for when you're doing entitlement. But it's so much easier when you get the right professionals and you're not having to babysit job sites. It's a big win. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just a different way to unlock that highest and best. Right. And yes. you always would say like, what's the best exit, right? What's the least risk for me? Right. Yes. You're like, I just, I'm just permitting <laughs> from here on out, you know, here you go. See you later. Or you could take it all the way to the build. And then there's yeah. a whole different value at the end of that too. But it's like, yeah, I mean, just imagine. So like if somebody buys, not if, when somebody buys this land from us, the potential for them is four times multiple on their equity. And so 
it, there's still so much profit left in this deal, even, even though we've added that much value. So it's just one of those things like when you change the value or the use, the potential is exponential. Absolutely, Lori. And I and I love and I love that you've structured deals super differently and like this whole deal diva deal divas <laughs> here. And it's led you to some pretty incredible things like yes. funding face off. My goodness, like oh, yes. talk about that. That's so so amazing. It's one of my favorite things ever. Tell me all about that. So going back to my mom, so she's my hero. If it seems like I talk about her a lot, it's yes, you know, she's my hero. She's passed on. She told me that uh, when she was about ready to pass, she goes, I need to go to the other side so I can help you. And so she's, she's there, she's helping me. (laughs) And so um, anyway, it's kind of like in memory of her because she was out there finding deals, but it was during a period where every bank she would go to would ask where her husband was. She wasn't even able to open a checking account in her own name without her husband's signing. So when my parents got divorced, you know, it was a financial strain on her and she didn't give up. She dug in and she got, you know, gritty and she got out there and did things. And so it just kind of dawned on me, like how many people are out there finding deals, but the financing is asking them to fit a box that we don't have right now. You know, maybe we just don't have the right programs to help them. And so I wanted to find a way to have them bring the deals to us where we could work out a win-win for both. Like we could get them going in their, their freedom search, you know, cause real estate really is one deal can change your life forever. And so I wanted to, to provide that opportunity by providing the financing and the wisdom that comes along with all the years of me doing this. And so I talked to a few of my friends and they're like, oh yeah, we want to do this too. So then I'm like, okay, how can we make this fun? And how can we reach and impact more people? Of course, you know, then you think TV, right? So I decided to create a TV program that is a Shark Tank style. When we pitched it to Kevin Harrington, who is uh, one of the former sharks, you, you know him. He's like, yes, I love it. I'll participate. And so we set it up like Shark Tank where there's five deal makers. And then we would have three separate investors pitch their deals on one show. And the idea is they each pitch their deal and we kind of give them some feedback and then we eliminate one. Nah, eh, eh, sorry, you're gone. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was done nicely. We did a, a mentor moment. We told everyone, you know, one thing that we thought that they could improve on, but then we would say, so-and-so you're eliminated, you know, you, no deal for you. And they walk off. So then that would leave us with two people. And so then these two people had to face off each other to get our money because we're only investing in one. So they have to think about, you know, what are they willing to give us? How are they going to reduce our risk? How are they going to make it safer for us? And they would face off with each other until finally we would say, you know, so-and-so done deal. And so then, you know, we would then take their deal into our underwriting and see if we could put it together. But it was just an amazing time. And one of the things that the deal makers and I talked about was, how because of the volume of deals that we've done and the amount of time we've been in it, we could just like see through the deal. We could see the holes and we could see the risks. And, you know, like off just by being on the show, we saved people's lives and marriages and, you know, their finances because we were able to speak that wisdom into their deals. And so thank you, mom. I have common sense now. Oh my God, that's so beautiful, Lori. I love that. It's like a full circle moment, which is yes. incredible. Yes. Oh my 
goodness. Oh my goodness. And I mean, for anybody who's, who's listening, like this will be available pretty soon. So Lori yes. will, will release that. You just need to follow her for, for more info on that. Yeah. I just head up to the website and join the, you know, learn more about us and we'll keep you in the loop as we get ready to launch it. I love that Lori. Oh my goodness. And so many lessons and so much like it, like I love the whole story of the background of everything and like just everything. And that like, th this is my favorite question. It always is, which is, what would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? Just trust the process. So many times, especially younger, you know, we're thinking it's got to be bigger, better, faster. And we try to control things. We try to put our own bumpers around life. But the reality is life will take you on the journey for your purpose, regardless of what you do. And mm -hmm. all that energy is wasted. So just enjoy the process. I love that. I love that. Oh my gosh. And in your world, what's what, what's coming next? Like what's coming up in Lori's world in the next few months? I'm so intrigued to hear it. I'm like, I can't yes. wait to see you next. I'll well, be seeing you in March. <laughs> yes. So of course, you know, we're still working on finding the buyer for our large assisted living project. And we are starting entitlement on a second assisted living project nearby. And we're looking for land to do a few more locally within the San Jose Bay area. So that is our focus. That's incredible. Oh my goodness. That so along funny. with the, the funding face-off show. I mean, we just want to keep helping people get started. I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it, Lori. And what would be your biggest piece of advice to anybody who's listening right now? whether it's business, anything that comes to you? So the first thing is find a mentor. And the second thing is take action. You know, you can sit there and learn all you want, but the best learning is done by taking action. But do it with somebody that is already been down the path because you're going to earn your wisdom one way or another. You know, you're going to pay for your education one way or another. Either you're going to earn it through the school of hard knocks or you can learn it from somebody else. So, Amen. I love it, Lori. Oh my gosh. It's been such a privilege and an honor to have you today. My goodness, you are an absolute rock star. And for those who are listening, Lori, where can everybody find you? So the best place is head out to fundingfaceoff.com and go ahead and enter your information there. If you want to book a strategy call or such with me, you can go to callwithlori.com and uh, book a quick call there. Thank you so much, Lori. You are amazing and incredible. Thank you so much for being here today. I so love to hear your story and just everything. You're just amazing oh. and I adore you so much. Thank you, Pamela. Thank you. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Catch us next week, always dropping on Thursdays. And remember, if you're interested in real estate, or want to learn how to create more money and magic in your life, check out meetwithpamela.com and let's chat. Sending you so, so much love. All we know is overtime, working like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs.